Welcome to the PFF Wire podcast. I'm Doug Kide, joined as always by Brad Spielberger. Brad, how are you doing on this fine Monday afternoon? Yeah, well, I made my uh, debut on the forecast yesterday, and they start the show after Sunday Night Football begins. So I was up until about 2 a.m., but besides that, doing well. And I think, uh, like I said before the show, great hair day for the pod today. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I don't know what's going on here, but uh, we did something right. Uh, it was a crazy day of football on Sunday. We will get to, to that in a second. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the PFF Wire podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to rate and review. Let's start off with some of the biggest news of the week on Sunday, like I mentioned. Kenny Pickett got in the game for the Steelers, um, and... He was certainly good from a quarterback sneak perspective. Uh, I was tweeting about that quite a bit. Uh, ran for a couple of touchdowns. I'm not sure how much we can glean off of this performance with him replacing Mitchell Trubisky, but I thought it was interesting, at least, that he got into this game against the New York Jets. Steelers still wound up losing. But very tough slate ahead if Kenny Pickett's going to stick as the starting quarterback for the Steelers, which is something that Mike Tomlin did not confirm after the game. Yeah, and I think it's fair. I mean, you look at their schedule going forward. Buffalo at Buffalo next week, maybe the worst debut for a rookie, you know, against this defense. And then Tampa Bay is the week after that. Um, there's a couple other tough games beyond those as well. But I think you had to make this decision. Mitchell Trubisky's 5.5 yards per attempt was 38th out of 39 quarterbacks this season with at least 10 attempts. Very small sample size, but Pickett actually now leads the NFL with 9.2 yards per attempt on his 13 passes. Didn't have a single ball hit the ground because he threw three interceptions yep. uh, and completed 10 passes. Interestingly enough, though, all three interceptions we did not deem as turnover-worthy plays per mm -hmm. PFF charting. One was a Hail Mary at the end of the game. Uh, two others went off receivers' hands. I think you can nitpick, but I watched the film this morning. I also understand why the graders went that way. Um, I think it's kind of a toss-up and drops are a tough uh, stat. They vary uh, company to company oftentimes. Yeah. But I thought Pickett added some flash, and I think at this point you got to ride with him. Yeah, it's it's tough because obviously, like we said, the upcoming slate for the Steelers is tough. But this was kind of the game to get him in there. Maybe it was even the right kind of situation. Obviously, the Steelers would have liked to have won this game. But Jets are now 2-2 two and two on the season. Uh, Zach Wilson was out there for the Jets. Maybe we can get into some of the 2021 quarterbacks now that we're talking about this game. Um, he looked fine. Certainly wasn't his worst performance. Uh, he had some, some up and down moments in that game. But... Overall, he was probably one of the better quarterbacks from that 2021 draft class. This week, Trevor Lawrence went back to really struggling. Obviously, Mac Jones out with a high ankle sprain, Trey Lance out. Uh, and now Davis Mills is actually our highest graded quarterback from that class after Trevor Lawrence's struggles. So still not seeing the consistency that we might have expected out of that 2021 draft class. You could probably speak a little better to Justin Fields' performance, but statistically and grade-wise, still not what you're looking for out of Justin Fields this week. Yeah, no, definitely not. And, and Zach Wilson, real quick, I mean, he just kind of showed us what he's always shown, which there were some great passes. He was actually phenomenal in the fourth quarter, um, but had four turnover-worthy plays, three of them on throws, one where he held onto the ball way too long and could have lost it via fumble. Speaking of Justin Fields, they both now are averaging 3.4 seconds on their average time to throw, which is the highest in the NFL, and is just way too long. So, yeah, I mean, with Fields, that is part of it. There's no question about it, but I, I did post a graph uh, today a couple hours ago. The Bears have a 
allowed the highest pressure percentage in the NFL. The Jets are actually third. Um, and the Bears receivers are deemed the least open group in the NFL. The Jets are much better there. They have a good receiving core. Um, and Wilson's able to find some guys open. So that's kind of the the boost for the Jets and for Zach Wilson. But, yeah, I mean, both guys just do not have protection. Jets right guard Elijah Vera Tucker played 44 snaps at left tackle in that game because yep. that's how dire their tackle situation has gotten. So credit to him for pulling off that win. And, you know, Pittsburgh without TJ Watt, but still a solid defense. And, you know, obviously Mike Tomlin running that ship there. Yeah, and Elijah Vera Tucker actually did play a decent amount of left tackle at USC during his college career. I remember Patriots were interested in him uh, coming out of that draft. They wound up getting Mac Jones because Elijah Vera Tucker was drafted one pick before Mac Jones. But I was kind of thinking at the time that they might have been looking at him as a left tackle rather than a guard. So not the worst option, but it's interesting that it took this to get uh, Elijah Vera Tucker into the game at left tackle because Max Mitchell now injured. Doesn't seem like that's going to be a season-ending injury, uh, but just so many injuries there on the offensive line for the Jets. Seems like they might be able to get Dwayne Brown back this week, at least in practice. Uh, Robert Sala, the Jets head coach, did not rule that out in a press conference. He said that he'd see where, where they're at on Wednesday with that. So that would certainly help to get a, a player that they signed to a two-year, uh, $20 million contract back. But on the Brown, I mean, on the Bears side, they lost the New York Giants. New York Giants now three and one on the season. And I was doing some digging on some stats. Dexter Lawrence, the Giants' first-round defensive tackle from a few years ago, had eight pressures against Justin Fields in that game. That is tied for the most by a defensive interior defensive lineman or any any defensive player who weighs over 320 pounds. I was like, I was digging through the stats because I first saw that Dexter Lawrence had eight defense, eight total pressures. I was like, wow, that is a lot for a guy who's a nose tackle. And I was like, oh, wow, he's tied for the most out of any player who's three over 330 pounds. And I was like, let's bring that down by 10 pounds. It was also tied for the most by any defensive player over 320 pounds. So yeah, major issues there on the offensive line for the Bears and uh, Cody Whitehead, uh, Cody Whitehair uh, could miss some time as well. So things are not getting better for Justin Fields there in Chicago. Folks, this is why you listen to PFF Wire for weight-adjusted pressure rate uh, for interior <laughs> defensive linemen. That's what it's all about. No, it's a great shout, though. Sam Muster for the Bears Center had a 1.5 pass block grade. Um, there have been zeros. I got a couple questions. That's the lowest I've ever seen. There have been a few zeros in our day, um, but allowed six pressures, was just getting abused all game long. And with Cody Whitehair out, head coach Matt Eberflus confirmed he'll be out for an extended period of time. So Mustafer going nowhere, and Lucas Patrick – probably now kicking over to left guard and Tevin Jenkins can stay at right guard, which I know some fans will be happy about, but yeah, things are not getting any easier anytime soon in Chicago. Uh, it was a pretty fun Patriots Packers game this weekend. Bailey Zappi, the Patriots fourth round pick quarterback came in very early in the game because Brian Hoyer suffered a concussion. And I, I mean, Zappi was fine. The, the Patriots actually took the Packers to overtime, which was pretty amazing. I thought that there was kind of a, a lack of interest maybe from Aaron Rodgers during the first half of this game. He was something like 4 of 11, did not look like himself. He really turned it on in the second half and then into overtime. But, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty uh, – Pretty impressive performance from Bailey Zappi. I think he only wound up with like a 51 PFF grade. But and if you're talking about a quarterback who entered the season third string, didn't get a ton of reps during training camp, uh, played a decent amount during preseason, but then once the season starts, Patriots only really allow starters to practice. So I think that Bailey Zappi was probably only getting scout team reps. And he was probably splitting those with Brian Hoyer through the first three weeks of the season. 
Then his practice reps obviously increased this week with Mac Jones out. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like this was obviously kind of one of those moral type victories for the Patriots. I know that they don't really look at it that way, but I would say that this game was, if anything, a little bit more concerning for the Packers than anything for the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, the Packers continue to pour resources. They've added Jaron Reed on the interior. They obviously drafted Devontae Wyatt in the first round out of Georgia, another interior defender. They drafted linebacker Quay Walker, um, you know, re-signed a bunch of guys on defense, and they still have the third worst EPA per rush allowed. That's what's knocked them out of the playoffs the last, you know, three years in a row is San Francisco or another team just running the ball down their throat, controlling the clock, and keeping Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. And New England did that again with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. That was funny. They kind of had the kid gloves on Zappy and the training wheels on, but he was five for five on passes, 10 plus yards downfield, yeah. including that, that touchdown ball to Devontae Parker. So maybe they let him open up a little bit. They are favored against the Detroit Lions next week with, you know, Brian Horror concussion question marks or Bailey Zappy. Maybe that's Vegas telling or us. Or Mac Jones. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe that's 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 Vegas telling us yeah. they. Oh, I guess true. I guess maybe Mac Jones could return. That's a fair point. Um, but yeah, I just thought, thought that was interesting nonetheless. That even with those question marks, um, coming off an overtime game against Green Bay, they're favored against. Yes, the Lions are one and three, but obviously, you know, a plucky Lions team. Yeah, a very plucky Lions team. We'll get into that in a second, but. Um, yeah, certainly the kick gloves were on Bailey Zappi. I will say on the touchdown pass they had Devontae Parker. They were like three seconds past a delay of game when when they actually got yeah, that yeah, playoff. Yeah. It was so weird. Um, and that came, I think, one play after they also had a delay of game. And then uh, just worth a shout, Patriots rookie cornerback Jack Jones, another fourth-round pick, and an extremely high coverage grade. I think it was 94.6, something like that. One of the best coverage uh, grades for a rookie cornerback in a single game since PFF has been around since 2006. He had a pick six against Aaron Rodgers. He also forced and recovered a fumble. So big game for Jack Jones when he was stepping in for Jalen Mills. Jalen Mills was a game-time decision, did not wind up suiting up, so Jack Jones started opposite Jonathan Jones. Uh, so good performance from him. But let's talk about that Lions team that the Patriots are playing next week. The Lions now have the most total points through week four in NFL history. Somehow they've allowed more points than they have scored, and they're one in three on the season. I think that, I mean, I've got a good friend who's a Lions fan. He texts me about the Lions all the time. I just feel so bad because, like, they're that team that is just perpetually so close, like keeping games close, almost winning, and then teams are constantly snatching victory away from defeat for them. And it's just it's it's unbelievable that this Lions team has scored as many points as they have and that they're one and three on the season. And they've had a lot of injuries on the offensive side of the ball as well. I think a lot of people expected that defense to be a strength this year with Aaron Glenn being a head coaching candidate elsewhere. I know that Lions fans are kind of starting to lose faith in him a little bit right now. I don't fully blame them just because of this performance so far this season. Yeah, you know, dead last in EPA per play allowed on defense. If I told you that Jared Goff would lead all quarterbacks with 12 touchdown passes, Jamal Williams would lead all running backs with six touchdowns on the ground, uh, and they would be one and three, you'd probably be like, how is that even possible? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's always one-score games, too. We talk a ton about yeah. one-score regression. It's something you're always eventually going to see, and Detroit just cannot – stop losing these one-score games. Yeah, I will say, though, to spin it as a positive, you mentioned all the guys they're missing. They still scored yeah. 45 points. Yes, right. the Seahawks defense stinks, but Noah Monroe, St. Brown, DJ Chark, kind of a game-time decision not to mm-hmm. play. They still had Hawkinson and Jamal Williams, and that was enough. 
um, maybe that inspires confidence. That offensive line is obviously a stout, good unit, even with some depth when they're hurt. Um, hang your hat on that, I suppose, and hopefully, you know, fix that defense, and that's what you need going forward. But just it's tough that they're one and three. You, they, you know, those fans deserve a 500 football team at the least right now. Yeah, I mean, I really can't blame them for just like the moral victories. I think they're tired of moral victories at this point. They're, they're tired of, you know, having things to hang their hat on at this point. And yeah, you feel bad for them, but yeah, Jared Goff had a good game, 74.6 overall PFF grade. And that was, as you mentioned, without DJ Chark, Amon Ross St. Brown and Deandre Swift. So uh, still able to score points. And I will say that, that, that defense, that Lions defense will really be tested to see how many points that they can actually let up against this Patriots offense this week, especially if it is Brian Hoyer playing quarterback, whether it's Bailey Zabby playing quarterback, even Mac Jones and the Patriots offense have not got a lot going on offense so far this season. So it's like that um, movable object against, yeah, the stoppable force versus the movable object. Right, we'll, right. we'll see which one winds up prevailing. Um, let's talk about the Carolina Panthers quarterback situation because there's really not much that they can do right now, but Baker Mayfield is our lowest graded qualified quarterback through four weeks of the season. I personally was expecting Baker Mayfield to play much better this year than he has. I think that this just goes to systemic issues with the Carolina Panthers offense, uh, whether that's Matt Rule, whether it's Ben McAdoo, that seemingly feels like anyone could be playing quarterback in this offense and they would still struggle because, I mean, the craziest thing to me is that Sam Darnold was so bad for the Panthers last season, wound up, I think, having like a 51 grade, 52 grade, something like that. And Baker Mayfield has somehow been even worse. The issue here, though, for the Panthers is that Sam Darnold reportedly not close from returning at this point. So they're basically forced to stick with Baker Mayfield um, since, you know, the other option at this point would be P.J. Walker. Uh, they've got they've got uh, they also drafted Matt Corral, but he's also out for the season at this point. So, yeah, not a lot of options for the Panthers to turn to here. I'm not sure that there's a lot of solace in Sam Darnold being an option to turn to nonetheless. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, he has – Baker Mayfield leads the NFL in tipped passes. I want to say he had four, three or four in yesterday's game alone and has either nine or ten total on the year, which is the most of any quarterback – that often gets tied to height. It's not just a height thing, but he's also just so inaccurate. You watch some of these throws. Um, missing DJ Moore open a couple times yesterday. Just looks so uncomfortable. And then you mentioned how it's consistent. I actually broke down this morning. They've had, you know, they had Joe Brady. They had, um, when he was fired for half a season, another offensive coordinator, obviously now Ben McAdoo. I spliced their offense with every different play caller. It doesn't matter. They're just awful. No. They're just no. they're a bottom five offense. Uh, it's particularly passing the ball. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey can sometimes give them some great rushing results, but just bad. And they, they have talent at certain right. spots. Yeah. Um, you, you just wonder why they cannot write the ship. But I also saw a stat from Tom Pelissero, 1-26 in 26 when the opposing team scores 17 points. Uh, that's a stat that should come in like 1950, not 2022. <laughs> um, that's about as bad as it gets. Yeah, it's it's bad. Like, as you mentioned, I mean, they, they, they've they got DJ Moore. They've got Christian McCaffrey. They've got Robbie Anderson. They've got some talent on there. They just drafted Ika McQuanu. He's He hasn't been great this season, but he hasn't been a, a total disaster. It's just, I don't know. They cannot figure it out for the life of them. Uh, we'll see really at this point how long Matt Rule can last. Uh, I certainly don't know if you should be firing a head coach after four weeks. This isn't the Big Ten, uh, but it, it's, I don't know. I mean, it, I, and it, I guess the other issue there would be 
who would take over at that point? I guess they do have, you know, uh, they do have Steve Wilkes on staff. They've got some experienced coaches on staff, but I don't know. Something eventually is going to have to change there. Let's go through some injuries from week four, because unfortunately there was quite a bit of them. The biggest one coming out of week four, Denver Broncos running back, Javante Williams has multiple, uh, he suffered multiple ligament damage, tore his ACL, uh, tore other ligaments. That means that this isn't, only you know necessarily a season-ending injury this could carry on into next year as well because we just saw it with jk dobbins he suffered multiple uh, ligament damage during the preseason last year was not able to get back onto the field until week three of this season so we're already at week four i don't know this is this is tough for javante williams and it's another tough blow for the broncos offense overall which lost tim patrick during the offseason we were expecting them to really have the best weapons or some of the best weapons in the NFL. And now they've got two really big pieces down with, with ligament damage. Yeah, it's a brutal, like you said, not only the injury itself is brutal, but yeah, he's sixth in targets among running backs so far yeah. this year with 21. Um, has been a safety valve, a much-needed safety valve for Russell Wilson. Um, and has created a lot after the catch. Going back to last season, his rookie year, he leads all running backs in missed tackles forced per rushing yeah. attempt um, with about one every three carries. He's making a defender miss. So he is he's a dynamic player. He's a good young player. Obviously, they traded up in the second round to get him. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have Melvin Gordon. They brought him back. And that obviously, even though he now has, I want to say, four fumbles, in his last 12 games at a pivotal maybe yeah yeah, maybe game losing fumble in this game against the Raiders but you know a solid capable backup if you can hold on to the football but just yeah more bad news in Denver you mentioned Tim Patrick Devontae Williams Randy Gregory actually did go down in that game as well I don't think we have news there yet and probably not season ending but a a, a lingering knee injury that's been bothering him I think that's what he re-aggravated in the game yesterday so Two and two Broncos. They play on Thursday as well, um, which I'm sure we'll get to. But, yeah, just just more bad news in Denver. And that offense is still just relatively anemic. Yeah, Melvin Gordon has a 44.1 PFF grade so far this season and a 17.2 fumble grade. Uh, yeah, he, he cannot seemingly hang on to the football right now. And everyone expected that to be a, a two-headed monster this season, obviously, for the Broncos at running back. And that has not been the case uh, or that will not be the case moving forward here. And I'm not sure how much the Broncos can really trust Melvin Gordon if those fumble issues continue. Uh, Yeah, let's get into another running back, Jonathan Taylor. He's got an ankle injury. Doesn't really seem serious from some of the reports out there, uh, but the Colts are playing on Thursday. They've already ruled out linebacker Shaquille Leonard with a concussion. So this is a short turnaround now for Jonathan Taylor. I think it is the two most disappointing teams of the NFL season going yeah. at it. Um, you know, not of course not making late the injuries. The teams overall so far through week four have just been poor and, and just have not on both sides of the ball really have not been super impressed. The Broncos defense has been solid. Um, but yeah, so so Indianapolis at Denver without Shaq Leonard. I think even though Jonathan Taylor is not going to be out for maybe an extended period of time, I would be shocked. Um, it sounds like maybe a high ankle. I'd be shocked if he plays on Thursday. Mm-hmm. But he was 20 of four, 20 carries, 42 yards, and a fumble in that game. They could do nothing on the ground, um, even with him. But obviously, a team that lacks a lot of weapons to begin with, just the last thing you need in, in Indianapolis, you know, going into Denver where you can run the football generally. Uh, another game early next week. We've got another 9.30 a.m. game between the New York Giants and the Green Bay Packers. Giants quarterback Daniel Jones has – uh, what Brian Dable called an ankle sprain. Not sure if that's a low ankle sprain, a high ankle sprain. Tara Taylor has concussion. He's still in concussion protocol. So right now, the only fully healthy quarterback 
on the Giants roster is Davis Webb, who is obviously with Brian Dable with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I believe that Brian Dable said that they'll probably have to work out some quarterbacks. And the Patriots will probably have to work out some quarterbacks as well, since their only healthy quarterback right now is uh, Bailey Zappi. So it's a good time to be one of those free agent quarterbacks out there because you're probably getting a lot of work during these workouts. But um, yeah, I mean, the Giants are three and one. They're facing a Packers team that's three and one, but Giants won't be three and one for long if Daniel Jones isn't out there. I'm not sure they'll be three, they'll be three and one even if Daniel Jones <laughs> yeah. is out there. But yeah, that's a good point. A lot of quarterback injuries across the NFL. Josh Johnson, keep your your uh, volume on your phone. Um, try to get that 19th team to sign you, whatever you're at these days. Um, yeah, no, I mean heading out to London. Uh, you know, injuries to both of their quarterbacks. Saquon Barkley was basically a wildcat QB in the fourth quarter against yep. Chicago, which sadly worked better than it should have. Um, you know, Green Bay has some injuries of their own. Jair Alexander did not play for them this past week, but yep. I think it's a big time get right spot for Green Bay. Uh, and I think the Giants look more like a, you know, three and two football team. You know, we have right now their, their fifth worst in pressures allowed on Daniel Jones. They have the most penalties in the NFL. Um, just you look at every underlying metric. Their success rate on offense is 22nd. Um, just they're, they're, I mean, they're not a good football team. They, they are 3-1, and one, but they've beaten Carolina, Chicago, and what? Week 1, Tennessee. I guess we'll give them a decent win there. But, um, yeah, not an impressive 3-1 and one team by any stretch. Yeah, I will give them credit for making some improvements on that team. However, though, uh, I think they were 32nd last year in EPA per play. Now they're 15th or 16th, so they're at least they're at least average now. Uh, and same thing goes on defense. I think they were like 24th on EPA per play against, and this season I think they're 13th in that metric. So they have they've got massive flaws on their roster. They can't really throw the ball. They've got a lot of holes on defense as well, but making things work against some other uh, lower tier teams and their schedule gets a little bit tougher here coming up. Obviously the Packers are tough, uh, but they don't exactly have the most difficult division because they do still have to play uh, the Washington commanders a couple of times. They've got the Jacksonville Jaguars, Seattle Seahawks, Houston Texans, Detroit lions. So, I mean, there's, there's a path here for them to still finish around 500 or better, just given what they've already done this year and then what the schedule looks like in front of them. Uh, let's talk about another one of those teams in the d- division that I just mentioned, the Washington Commanders. Brian Robinson, great story. Clock is starting on him returning to practice despite the fact that he was shot twice on August 28th in an attempted robbery. Uh, unbelievable that, you know, he was shot, I think it was in the hip and in the leg that, you know, missed major muscles and ligaments and, and arteries and everything like that. For him to already be back at practice, the clock is going to start on him, so he could be back soon. Uh, Ron Rivera said that. He also said that Chase Young, their star uh, defensive end, clock will not be starting on him quite yet he will not be returning to practice and they've got a wide receiver Jahan Dotson their first round pick this year could miss some time with a hamstring injury so good news for Brian Robinson and and actually once he gets back on the field looks like he could actually have a a pretty decent role because Antonio Gibson I think only played 41 percent of snaps something like that last week that was way down from his snap uh, percentage entering the season it's his lowest this week of any week so far this year. Yeah, it's a good shout. And obviously, it's going to get probably even lower with Robinson returning. I mean, look, they took him in the third round out of Alabama. They think he's a true three-down back. I think during the draft, there were some people kind of chuckling, saying it was a reach, and they took him too early and all right. those type of things. Um, but I think they clearly believe in him, and they obviously want to get him going behind this offensive line um, and just losing faith in Gibson. So, yeah, I think he's going to come in, which is truly, truly a remarkable story, come in and maybe have a decent share of the workload right out of the gate. Um, yeah, the loss of 
Austin Dotson's a big time deal though. They, they need those those three receivers to space things out. Wentz is obviously struggling regardless. Um, their bottom ten in e-paper play on offense and or excuse me, bottom ten on defense and dead last on offense. Uh, so they are struggling mightily. And Dotson had four touchdowns on his first ten catches, so it was remarkably efficient out of the gate. Um, the last thing they need is to start getting injuries to key players like him. Yeah, it's been a tough season for the Commanders so far. And if there's one thing that I got right heading into the season, I was trying to figure out why people were relatively high on the Washington Commanders. And uh, I think up. we've kind of yeah proven that, uh, that that has not been the case so far this season. But uh, we'll see if they can turn things around. Let's stick, stick in the DMV area. Baltimore Ravens also getting some good news, and that's Gus Edwards. Clock will start on him returning from the pup list. It does not necessarily mean that he will play right away. But coming off of his own torn ACL, they've already seen J.K. Dobbins return. Now they could get Gus Edwards back in the offense. Uh, also wide receiver Rashad Bateman, who's had some big plays so far this season, has what they call a midfoot injury. But that doesn't seem overly serious at, at this point. Yeah, you know, they can't afford to lose Bateman, really. They, I mean, DuVernay has yeah. had a good season this year. Obviously, Mark Andrews in the fold. But you watch Lamar Jackson some of these games, and he just has to do so much. Um, I mean, running with his head cut off when Daniel Falele, their four-string left tackle, going up against the Bills this week. And good start in the first half. Obviously couldn't do anything in the second half. Had two interceptions. Not fully absolving him of blame, but yeah. he just he needs more support and help around him. I think Gus Edwards will be a big help. Um, you know, him and Dobbins as a one-two punch is a good duo. Kind of differing skill sets and bring different things to the table. Um, but yeah, I mean, Baltimore now two tough losses in a row. And now they get Cincinnati at home this next upcoming week. A massive, massive week five matchup for both Baltimore and Cincinnati. Yeah, as you mentioned, Lamar Jackson, uh, he's got a 76.2 overall PFF grade so far this season, but only a 68.6 passing grade. And I think that a lot of that is the weapons around him. Uh, and yeah, losing Rashad Bateman would be big. I, I'm, I'm curious to get your, your take on this. Quarterbacks have been all over the place so far this season. Like if you're looking at our PFF grades so far this year, obviously there's a limited sample size for some of these guys, but the top five graded overall quarterbacks geno smith number one josh allen patrick mahomes jalen hurts number four and then andy dalton number five and you go down to tua tonga vialoa chicoby Brissett. then you've got aaron Rodgers, tom brady lamar jackson i don't know it seems like the quarterbacks that we expected to perform really well this season have really been putting out some up and down performances and that's allowed some of these guys like geno smith and andy dalton and jalen hurts and tua to kind of rise up in the ranks do you see anything specific that's forcing quarterbacks to struggle a little bit more this season or or just not play consistently or am i overreacting to this and is this kind of always the way that quarterbacks grade early in the season no, I don't think you're overreacting at all, both on an individual level and also just in general. These The, the grades are lower, and it's yeah. also we've noticed big-time throws are way down across the board. Um, I, I think it goes back to teams just playing more and more too high shells with two yeah. deep safeties and just taking away a lot of the vertical concepts for opposing offenses. And so now I think that, you know, the thing with Patrick Mahomes, and I think we saw it last night against Tampa Bay where I think he had completions to nine different receivers. It wasn't a ton of downfield stuff. It was a lot of of over the middle, going through your progression, intermediate throws, stuff like that. I think a lot of these quarterbacks now that rely on the boomer bust nature, the Russell Wilson, I think we talked about him before, 
That's gone now. Defense, they're yeah. taking that away because they've realized the explosive pass is killing us. We'd rather die by a thousand paper cuts, so to speak, and let them chip away because eventually we think the opposing offense will make a mistake or turn the ball over or you know be behind the sticks, whatever the case may be. And I think that's it. I think it is a defensive correction to just coverage mattering more and just focusing so much on taking away the pass. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly been fascinating to see and yeah i think it, it is a lot of those two high shells it's a lot of cover too i uh, see some quarters defense in there as well i'm interested to kind of run the numbers to see how different that is from years past but that is taking a lot away from a lot of those big time throws a lot of those downfield passes because if you got two safeties deep then you're gonna have to kind of chip away at the middle of the field in the shallow parts of the field so i think that, that is a lot of what we're seeing so far i just mentioned to Tango vailoa mike mcdaniel got out ahead of things said that tua will not play this week it's going to be teddy bridgewater um i think that th- they kind of had to do this from an optic standpoint i think that there's probably a possibility that since that game was on thursday Tua probably could clear concussion protocol by Sunday if this was a normal circumstance. But I think that you do have to deal in optics. And I think that you do have you have to be extra safe with Tua uh, just you know, if he did suffer a concussion two weeks in a row there. I think you and I, to a degree, have seen how the sausage is made and maybe know a little bit more behind the scenes. And also, I would say, though, are not big cynics and don't think the NFL is some evil enterprise and generally tries to do the right thing. But I do agree where, let's say Sunday, week three against Buffalo Sunday is out of the picture. If all we had was this Thursday against Cincinnati, I agree. I think we probably do see him play uh, against the Jets in week five. Of course, I don't know know how bad it was, but he did fly home that night, um, was unfortunately subjected to McGruber. Um, but, but, <laughs> hey, but yeah, no, I, mean, it, I think it's, it's not a conspiracy theory. I think it's a, a legitimate thing to bring up. Uh, it's a big deal though, too. I mean, the jets are small home dogs. Now it's a field goal against the dolphins. That is an wow. AFC East matchup. Um, actually crazy thing. Well, wow, if the Buffalo loses and the jets win, I think the jets could lead the AFC East after week five. Wow. Uh, cause the bills lost to the Dolphins. Sorry. My brain just went places, but that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> that would be fun. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a big loss, but I also I think Teddy was solid, you know, in relief, and I think you do better as a quarterback when you obviously the full game plan prepared for you on a full week, or in this case, yeah. an extended week. Um, I don't think it's a massive downgrade. At the same time, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are currently first and second in fantasy points for receivers, first and second in yards per route run. Just ridiculous production so far. I think that'll probably fall off if they lose Tua for a week or two. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I think that yeah, Teddy stepped in pretty well on Thursday. Curious to see what he looks like with now a week and a half worth of preparation. Um, I think that if he, I think this will be a better test to see how much of this offense is Mike McDaniel and how much Tua is really contributing on his own than it was last week when Teddy had to come in midway through that game. So I'm once again, very curious to see how that looks. I'm also a little bit surprised uh, by the line in that game because I, I still think the Dolphins are, are the much more talented team. Uh, a better coach team, everything, but we'll see how that all winds up. Uh, one last piece of news, Cordero Patterson, Falcons running back, going to injured reserve. Doesn't sound like it's going to be a long-term issue, but he will miss at least four games. Falcons actually still had a lot of success on the ground with Caleb Huntley, Tyler Algier, with Cordero Patterson out of that game. 
Yeah, and Damian Williams, I want to say, was placed on IR in week one, yep. so or right after week one. So I guess I think he'll miss this game and then be eligible to return next yep. game. So they do have some reinforcements. I think the best thing for them is, as great as Cordell Patterson has been, he's fourth in rushing grade for us right now. The Falcons are number one in yards before contact per rushing yep. attempt, and that's a credit to head coach Arthur Smith and his scheme, as well as, of course, the offensive line doing some good work up front. So it is a massive loss. He has been great for them. Um, but at the same time, I think they do a good job scheming guys open. Algier was very productive when he did come in and play a lot more once Patterson went out. Um, you know, that offense has been humming. They're, they're I want to say, fourth in explosive rushes overall. Uh, it, it's, it's a good offense, and, and credit to Arthur Smith. Um, huge matchup for them, too, against Tampa Bay next weekend. Definitely. Uh, let's get into Monday night's matchup. If you guys are listening to this after Monday, then feel free to just turn the podcast off. But very intriguing matchup between the Los Angeles Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I was looking at PFF Green Line, trying to find an edge on this game. And the one that initially caught my eye was the, the point total on this game is only 42 and a half. You mentioned this before we started recording. That's actually dropped quite a bit during the week as well. So I don't know. Personally, I'd be hammering that over. I know that there's some issues on the offensive line on both sides of this uh, this game, but you've got Kyle Shanahan, you've got Sean McVay. You know that these guys are going to be throwing out their best at one another, and I just think that these offenses are still high-powered enough to to be scoring more than 42.5 points. Uh, wh- what are you thinking on this matchup? My guess as to what Vegas may have done here is Trent Williams went out with an injury, obviously the all-star left tackle for the San Francisco 49ers, and we talked about this pre-show. You do not see a total move from 47 to 42 and a half very often. There's no key number there or anything, but it's a massive movement without a quarterback being out of the game, and that is not the case. My guess is, look, the Rams right now are 30th in pressure percentage for us. They have Aaron Donald, who I think is going to dominate rookie yeah. center Jake Brendel. No offense to Brendel. Everyone gets dominated by Aaron Donald, but their edge defenders have just not gotten home. Leonard Floyd's never been a great pass rusher. He's a great run defender and an average number two edge rusher in terms of pass rush. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's maybe Vegas not thinking the Rams are going to get home as often as we think, especially if Garoppolo gets rid of the ball very quickly, all those type of things. But on the other end of the spectrum, the 49ers are first in quarterback pressure percentage, have been killing opposing offensive lines. And this Rams offensive line is very susceptible against area pass protection, I should say. So yeah. I get where the number's coming from. I think I agree with you. But I also understand, you know, divisional game and then just, you know, thinking both defensive lines have big uh, mis matches um but hey that's what these head coaches and sean mcveigh and kyle shanahan are famous for is getting the ball out quickly getting their getting to their playmakers in space to go to work and, and create their own room um so i, I kind of see both sides of it uh one other bet that i liked this week was this seems like an obvious one but uh pff uh green line season edge on over seven and a half receptions for cooper cup that's only at minus 142 but um yeah that's a 10.4 percent edge on pff green line so i'm kind of liking that one any props that you like in this game that's my favorite i thought i saw it earlier at eight and a half actually and i know yeah i'm guessing it was plus it was like plus 115 so i'm guessing i don't know but they came down but um, there's less of an edge because you're laying more money, obviously, with the, with the minus mm-hmm. odds. Um, but, yeah, I love all things Cooper Cup. As I just mentioned, I think the 49ers are going to be in Matthew Stafford's lap in two seconds on a lot of snaps. But, in my opinion, that just works in favor of Cooper Cup being first in the progression, getting the ball out quickly. And I think Charvarius Ward, I don't know if he's going to shadow Allen Robinson, but mm-hmm. their big ticket free agent cornerback in Charvarius Ward, who's had a great season so far. In my opinion, the only like noteworthy corner on the 49ers. We've some young guys playing 
pretty well. But nevertheless, yeah. I think he is going to – his focal point will be kind of take Allen Robinson out of this game, take the deep passing like we're talking about out of this yeah. game. We'll let them eat underneath with Cooper Cup all day long and just trust ourselves to hold them to field goals and things like that. And I think all of that works in favor of that prop. Definitely. Uh, on the 49ers side, I'm curious to see if they can get George Kittle a little bit more involved in this game. Uh, he hasn't done a whole lot, obviously, this season because he's been injured. But I think that will be a key for the 49ers on offense. All right. Well, that will do it for today's PFF Wire. Keep it on PFF.com for all of your news and analysis. Download the PFF app. Subscribe to PFF Plus. That's $79.99 a year, and you can get a weekly free trial as well. Follow Brad on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Kide. Don't forget to subscribe to the PFF Wire podcast on Apple or Spotify, or subscribe to the PFF YouTube channel. But that will do it and for us, and we will be back with you guys again on Wednesday. Thanks.